Welcome again to another chapter and podcast of Cosmic Careers with your host, Veronica Chiaravalli, and myself, Alistair Brown. Welcome. This week, we will discuss governments in space. We've covered in the last podcast companies in space, and we talked about the potential of private industries and how they can develop space. I've stated that we need to get NASA and the government, which are one, really, out of the space business, but not out of space, for they have a vital role to play, a bigger role at that. I remember you talking about how merchants in the past helped build up empire, the Spanish, the French, and especially the British, and that's how it will be in space. With one difference. Which is? There won't be any empires this time around. The Treaty on Principles Governing the Activities of States, meaning countries, in the exploration and use of outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, otherwise known as the Outer Space Treaty. This is a treaty that was passed in 1967 by the United Nations and ratified by the United States, the United Kingdom, and the then Soviet Union. And since then, 111 more countries have signed it, totaling 114. This treaty was passed two years before the first moon landing, for fear that if the Soviet Union, or any other country for that matter, had landed on the moon first, that country would claim the entire satellite for its own, setting up military bases and possibly threaten and dominate the Earth, inciting fear worldwide. The Outer Space Treaty eliminated that. The treaty is composed of 17 articles, but quite simply, it states that the moon and other celestial bodies are the common heritage of all mankind to be used for peaceful purposes only, meaning that no military bases and no weapons of any kind, nuclear or otherwise, will be permitted up there. You can't even carry a sidearm. Last of all, none of outer space, not the moon or any celestial body, are subjected to national appropriation by claims of sovereignty, by means of occupation, or by any other means. In other words, no nation can establish colonies in space, belonging to them and no other country. And no establishing any empire in space by any country whatsoever, which is the same thing. I think this sounds like a good idea if it will prevent war in space. I think it will. Now, since no country can claim the moon and asteroids and Mars, what about companies or corporations or entrepreneurs? They are not governments, so what can they do? Word did did get out about the precious metals found on the moon and near-Earth asteroids. Gold, silver, platinum, platinum group metals, and helium-3, that although no country can claim these, what about individuals? Remember the gold rushes of California and Alaska? In 2015, U.S. Congress, both Democrats and Republicans, passed the U.S. Commercial Space Launch Competitiveness Act. This endorsed sharing and cooperating with people of all nations, but also implied 
profit and competition. The Commercial Space Launch Act, one, facilitates commercial exploration of space resources by U.S. citizens. Two, it discourages government barriers to the development of industries, recovering and using these resources in accordance with international space law. Three, government cannot interfere with U.S. citizens or any other individuals or companies regardless with recovering and using these space resources. The United Arab Emirates and Luxembourg approved of the treaty. Many other countries felt that it was a violation of the Moon Treaty, written in 1979 with only six nations signing it, and the U.S., the USSR, and China were not among the six. The Moon Treaty was a very unpopular treaty, Almost nobody will sign it, and for very good reason. Critics have stated that it would have prohibited commercial development in outer space and would have socialized future lunar planetary bases and space stations. I have studied the Moon Treaty and did a paper on it. I was confused trying to straighten it out, and I couldn't do it. What you said is true, and I don't approve of it, but don't worry. It never had a chance. Basically, space exploration and development is expensive, and no government can afford to fund it solely on tax dollars. They did it with the Apollo moon landings and the space shuttle, but that era in space is at an end. Thank goodness. It is private industry that will develop space as long as there is a profit incentive. This is the main reason why the Moon Treaty will never pass. There are valuable minerals on the Moon and asteroids. Of course, the government and NASA and the United Nations will continue to play a major role. Yes, they will, beginning with taxation, and that will occur. When companies and individual entrepreneurs first set out to mine the Moon and asteroids, manufacture products, any product, and provide services, they will make profits, and they will be taxed. Who will tax them, and where will the money go? I would say to them, meaning the companies, will go to their country of origin at first, since they will be their base, whether they know this or not. Then, as more and more people and companies set out to build orbital refueling stations for space factories, mining colonies, Specialized space stations and settlements on the moon, where will the tax money go? Before I answer that question, I would like to point out the role government, be it national government of any spacefaring nation, or perhaps a combined space government run by the UN, these countries will participate in building the space infrastructure. The space infrastructure will consist of a space transport system like an interstate highway system like we have in the States, will consist of rocket bases to launch rockets from Earth to way stations that will transport passengers, workers, and cargo to other spaceships on their way to the moon and other space settlements, mining colonies or space manufacturing plants, refueling stations for these space vehicles like we have on Earth, solar power satellites until they are privatized and space law enforcement, sort of like a space police. NASA will contribute to building all this. 
In fact, they will have a major part in the construction of waste station, refueling stations, solar power satellites, cleaning up space debris orbiting the Earth, provided they do it the right way without any bureaucracy, along with research and development of new technologies, especially involving the above-mentioned stations. So, as we start to settle space and pay for the infrastructure and law enforcement, and that will be needed, the tax money will go to these projects, at least enough to support these entities without corruption in the governments. This could be the first task in space law and enforcement, preventing corruption. Law enforcement cannot come from just one country. Nothing in space can. No empire is allowed here, so space police will have to come from all participating spacefaring countries, even those that we, as Americans, consider our enemy back on Earth. It must be a single space police force to protect all industries from pirates, and there will be pirates, from each other, from plane jumpers, from corrupt officials, and they need to manage space traffic and protect space satellites and factories. This police force will be one single organization protecting all entities with no competition. I've been proposed that there should be a new position in the presidential cabinet, a U.S. Department of Space, with which NASA will be a part. NASA would concentrate on building the infrastructure, interplanetary missions, large space-based observatories, and research and development on new technologies. So NASA would be mostly on the scientific end of space. The Department of Space, apart from NASA, would involve the politics of the infrastructure, agreements with other countries on certain projects, even cleaning up space debris and Mars missions, how we would all go about in doing these projects and coordinate the activities of fledging space companies and be in charge of claims filed by companies for the moon and asteroids. I've mentioned this in previous podcasts. In fact, they would cooperate with the UN and in making and observing international treaties on these actions. They would establish a rule of law and enforcing it, which we've already discussed. They would lease space but not control it. This means a parceling of land, filing claims, and financial protection. These were discussed in previous podcasts. NASA, incidentally, would have no say in any of this, since their power would be lessened and reassigned to certain tasks, but it would not be diminished. NASA would simply be a branch of the Space Department, but only working on assigned tasks. NASA would receive about one-third of the total funding for the Space Department, with both handling their assigned functions. The Department of Space would have a bigger part to play in space development, which is why they would receive twice the funding as NASA. Well, Alistair, the role of NASA will change, as with the government. NASA and the government would only get out of the commercial operations of space development, but it would still have a role. But in researching new technologies, the commercial industries could not afford to do and to explore the vast reaches of space, starting with Mars. All this would be a bigger, more focused role at that. We need both government and private enterprise in space, and the roles must balance not one over the other. Now, for next week, what will that be about? 
We will move on to part three of the book, the technical infrastructure. In chapter five, we will now focus on space transportation, past, present, and future. With SpaceX and Blue Origin taking off, you certainly don't want to miss that. It's been good talking with you about space, and I look forward to another discussion next week. Thank you, Veronica, and thank you, the listener, wherever you are. And don't forget to order your copy of Cosmic Careers. You can find it on the net. We cover topics not discussed on our podcasts, so you don't want to miss out on the book. Goodbye until next time. Bye.